just a few moments, I'm going to read you some verses from the prophet Hosea. But as we gather this morning, remember this. We base our lives on what other people say about us. If you're here this morning and you know that, or you might be here this morning and you're adamantly opposed to that idea, it's true. We base our lives on what other people say about us. Even if other people say, well, that person doesn't care about what anybody thinks about them. It matters to us. And we gather to worship because of what God says about us and what he says about his people. Listen to this. When Israel was a child, this is God speaking, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to idols and burning offerings to idols. Yet, it was I who taught my people to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. Friends, God is teaching us how to walk with him. And he meets with us every week to feed our souls and to nourish us and to heal us. Let's respond to this by standing and singing to praise our God. If you have a Bible, I'd love to look with you this morning at Ephesians chapter 4. You can turn there. The words are also in the bulletin and should be on the screen behind me. Just in case you've just visited with us today and are wondering why in the world are we jumping into this, just wanted to give you a little bit of a framework of where we are in Ephesians. Remember in the first three chapters of this book, God has been telling us through the Apostle Paul all that we are in Jesus. God has been laying out in three chapters. This is everything that I have done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that this all starts with an incorruptible love. When we actually started this series in Ephesians, John Paul preached from the book of Acts, chapters 18, 19, and 20, which is where this church actually started and the historical record of how it got started. And it was all because of God's incorruptible love. Well, now that we're in the chapter four, we're shifting gears a little bit. So the first three chapters about what we are in Jesus, and now chapters four through six are how we live that out. What does it look like for us to be in Jesus in our daily lives? So Paul writes about things in a very, very practical way, telling us how we should align all that we are with and under Jesus. And he says, this is what it looks like. God's done everything for us, chapters one through three. Now, here's what it looks like to live in that way. So, Today, we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, and the big idea that we're going to talk about is change. All these verses are about change. Listen to this. This is God's Word. This literally is a portion of a letter from home. This is God speaking directly to us. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, 
By the way, I just love that phrase. That's not the way that you learned Christ, right? It doesn't say that's not what you learned about Jesus, but that's not the way that you learned Jesus. You see what I mean? Paul's getting at, remember the first three chapters? You're in Christ. Remember how you learned Jesus, how he came into your lives? Well, I can't preach on that exclusively today. 21, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your words. They are the words of life. So, Cause our hearts, our minds, our lives to come alive with the life-giving word of truth that is here. Help us to connect everything in our lives to Jesus. Help us to never think that we can earn our favor uh, with you or, or keep favor with you or anything through what we do or what we don't do, but that your good news is that our relationship with you is by grace and that you have sent Jesus in your spirit so that we might find life in Christ. We pray in his name, amen. If someone were to give you uh, whatever kind of power you would need to answer this question, assume that you have it, okay? Just for a moment, think with me about this. What would you want, if you could do anything you wanted, what, what would you want to change? If you had all the power that you needed and whatever that takes, what would you change, either about yourself or about the world? If you could change anything, what would that be? You might have a long list of things that you would like to see changed. You might have a long list of things that you would like to change about yourself. But just think about that question. Here are some things that I wrote down this week. These are in no particular order. Some of these are just random thoughts. I would love to see the tone of our culture change. It seems as though the tone of our culture is just rage. And that goes from being scary to me to just incredibly frustrating. I would love to see the tone of our culture change. Not only that, but we have a very divided country, and I would love to see that change. I would love to see more civility and more conversations go on between people that might disagree. 
I would love to see this change. There are so many addictions everywhere. People are addicted to sex. People are addicted to substances. People are addicted to approval. People are addicted to control. People are addicted to power. I would love to see that change. Fear motivates so much of our lives. Have you ever noticed that? We're afraid of what this person might do, this side might do, and that leads us to live this way because we're completely driven by fear that someone has created in our minds or hearts or made us think it's there. I would love to see that change. We struggle to keep our word Love to see that change. There's an undercurrent of discontent and just the reality that there's always a sense of just no one's ever satisfied with anything. Just a deep level of discontentment. Would love to see that change. We struggle to move toward other people, especially people that aren't exactly like us. Would love to see that change. They're idols of comfort and idols of money and finances. Would love to see those change and be broken down. We struggle to manage our commitments and our time. We're just so busy all the time running around from place to place, thing to thing, thinking that that's what makes us worthwhile or valuable or important. I'd love to see that change. Well, how in the world do these things happen? See, all these verses are talking about change. And before we get into how that change happens, the Apostle Paul wants us to think about change, and yet, first of all, think about change in light of what does life look like apart from Jesus? Look at verse 17 through 19. In the midst of all kinds of things that could change and we want to see changed, just think for a moment about life apart from Jesus. And what that means about change. Remember, Paul's already said in chapter 2 that apart from Jesus, we are spiritually dead. We are literally the walking dead. We are spiritually dead to God. And we are living out our lives of spiritual death. And here in these verses in Ephesians 4, Paul is explaining more and more about what that means. That we, without Jesus, are spiritually dead. Just look at these phrases quickly in verses 17 through 19. It means that we are basically living in the futility of our own thoughts. Like apart from Jesus, we can't get out of our own heads. We are the final arbiter of what's right and wrong. We are defining what's right and wrong for us. We think this is true and it doesn't matter if anyone else listens And that leads us oftentimes to being incredibly calloused. I mean, after all, everyone doesn't follow what I think, think, right? So that leads to a certain cynicism and just thinking that it's me against the world and being jaded when things don't go the way that I want them to go and being hard-headed. In other words, Paul didn't say this exactly, but what he's getting at is this. We're living very boring lives. If we can't ever get outside of our heads and we're the ones that determine everything and we're constantly thinking about ourselves, that is overwhelmingly boring. It's incredibly boring. But then what happens? 
is that when we just live in the futility of our own minds and in the hardness of our hearts and we become calloused, he says that leads us to give ourselves over to indulge every passion or indulge every impulse that we have. So that means we realize that we're hard-headed and we realize we're getting jaded and we're maybe realizing to some extent that we're in our own heads and so we think, well, the way to get out of that is just follow every impulse that we have. I have this sexual impulse, go for it. I have the desire to do this, go for it. Whatever it is, living by whatever impulse is hitting us at the moment. And we do that either to escape reality or to just live our lives for this particular moment. We're not thinking about anything else. Two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, we're not even thinking about the consequences of what might happen if we pursue this particular impulse. We just want it. We want it now. And the result is we're not going anywhere. We're not really getting anywhere. We're not accomplishing anything. At the end of the day, we're trying with all that we are in our minds and through our impulses, we are trying to live life without God. That's what he's saying. You've got all these things you want to change? And Paul immediately says, just remember what life without Jesus is like, if you can. Just remember what it's like to try to live as if God isn't real. Try to live as if you are the only thing that matters. I read uh, an author, I guess a year or two ago, who was reflecting back on uh, 20, I think it was 20 or 25 years of, um, of the day that she was broken from her substance abuse addiction. Um, I can't get this phrase out of my mind. This is what she said. And I think it applies so clearly to this, living life without Jesus. She said, I was falling apart faster than I could lower my standards. Have you ever come to that reality in your life? You know, you got these standards for where you want to go to college, and then you go and you get into it, and you think, well, maybe I should bring them down a little bit. I want to do this major because this major, I'm going to have everything I need if I pursue this career. And then you get into that career and lower the standards a little more. And then you start thinking in other areas of your life, well, if I just do this, it won't be that bad. I mean, I've got the rest of my life to figure this out. And before you know it, the cumulative effect of all of that? You're just falling apart faster than you can lower your own standards. Because when you can't get out of your own head, the only thing you're thinking about is you. And the loudest voice in our minds is just us and what we want to do and how we can justify whatever it is we want to do. See, there's no real change that's going on. There's no real heart change that can happen apart from Jesus that's why Paul turns our attention to verse 20 through, 20 through 32 to talk about how we change. Because to follow Jesus means that we live every day as if we need him. Jesus doesn't just like get us into the door and then we just start focusing on ourselves and make everything happen ourselves. To live our lives to say that we follow Jesus, to give our lives to Jesus means that we live every day as if we need him. And if we live as if we don't need Jesus, then we don't really know Jesus. 
That's why Paul says, this is not the way you learn Christ. You learn that Jesus is everything. You learn that the grace of God found you dead. You learn that the grace of God predated your faith. You learn that the grace of God gifted you faith. You learn that God created us in Christ for a life that pleases God. You learned that to follow Christ and give your life to him means that we have to live every day as if we need him. As if we need him. In these verses that we look at this morning, there are three things that are working together. Look at verse 22, 23, and 24. This is the the kernel, the essence, the bullseye of how we change. These verses are telling us the three components of how we change. Here's the first one. Three things are, and let me say this on the front end. Three things are working together. Here they are. Putting off, verse 22. Putting on, verse 24. And verse 23. Having the renewing of the spirit of our minds. Those three things are working together. So let's look at these. Put off. Here's what Paul means when he talks about putting off. You might guess what it is. Don't do this. Don't do that. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Right? Put off things. There are things in your life that you need to put off and stop doing. There are ways that we need to stop thinking. Paul says we need to put off now, just very quickly, someone mentioned this to me in one of the scholars that I was, as I was reading, and I, and I need to say this because it's really, really helpful. If we just think that we can make it in life by, by just putting off, we're going to have significant problems. Significant. Here's, here's what one guy I read said. How damaging it is if we just live our lives just putting things off. Here's the connection he made. I've reworded it a little bit, but it's his idea. How many of us have never heard our dad say that he loved us? You don't have to raise your hands, but think about this for a moment. How many of us have lived in homes in which our dads have never said that they loved us? Have you ever had your dad say that he loves you? If he doesn't, It's probably because he was raised during a time when if he cried out, some authority figure in his life said to him, don't cry, don't be a baby, be a man. Don't cry, be a man. Stop that, stop crying, be a man. You know what happens? That guy grows up thinking, I'm a man. And if I'm a man, I can't express my emotions. I can't express my weaknesses. So putting off meant put off my emotions. Put off my weaknesses. It's what he thinks it means to be self-controlled. To put those things off and to hide them and ignore them. That's why so many men, so many of our fathers have struggled to say, they love us. That's why so many men struggle with being emotionally mature. Because they've thought, this is the way to be a man. You put off those things. See how dangerous that can be? Now let's come back to our immediate application. Some of you might have grown up thinking that this is how we change. 
Some of you might have grown up thinking this is how change happens in the Christian life. Actually, this is what the Christian life is. Put off. Put off everything. Stop doing this long list of stuff. If you lived in the extreme of this, then you've lived, lived a completely sheltered environment where there's been this kind of militant mentality against the list of everything that is considered unholy. These things are unholy, just put it off. Stay away from those people, stay away from that thinking, and everything is a slippery slope. Maybe you've grown up in that. And if you've been taught that this is what Christianity is, if you've been taught that this is the only way to change and grow, that this is how you change, then your view of yourself is going to be incredibly shallow. And it means your walk with Jesus will be incredibly superficial. Because at some point, at some point in your life, you will have to answer this question. What in the world will you do when you don't have enough willpower? What are you going to do when you discover that there are things in your life that you actually can't just stop? Just thinking that putting off, that that's how change, happen, change happens, putting off by itself is not enough. Paul also says that we need to put on, meaning start doing things. Do the right things. Do good things. You can refer back to the first part of this chapter, like doing everything with all gentleness and all humility, bearing with one another in love. Everything. Do everything in humility. Your job, your being a neighbor, doing everything in love. Everything. That's putting on, putting on humility, putting on gentleness, putting on patience, putting on bearing one, with one another. That's putting on. Paul says we have to have this too. But if we only think that change comes by doing the right thing and putting on, you know what will happen. We will actually never get into the rhythm of repenting in our lives. We'll just think, well, I just need to put the good thing on. What's the next good thing that I need to put on? Just let me put that on, which means that we also will live lives that are fairly shallow, that we won't really know how to dig in and deal with things that are deep within us, things that we have to admit, things that we have to learn about ourselves. And when that happens, when we live our lives as if how I change is just putting on the next good thing, and that's all that change is, just adding the right things in my life, this is what will end up happening. It usually will take a catastrophe to bring us to our senses. It usually will take something catastrophic to wake us up to reality. But just putting things on doesn't work. Just putting things on doesn't work. Sin is very, very deep within us. Putting on by itself isn't enough. Here's the third thing Paul says. By the renewing of the spirit of your mind. Put off, put on are all commands that we are supposed to be doing on a daily basis. There are things that we need to stop doing, absolutely. But it's not just putting off. 
Paul says you need to put on things. Put on gentleness, put on humility, put on prayer. But it's not just putting on things. We have to put off, we have to put on because our minds are being renewed. The spirit of our minds is being renewed. And this is really hard to explain. It's not an easy phrase to translate. It's not an easy phrase to understand. So I'm going to try to illustrate it for you. And I hope this will help. I have had to come to grips with in my life that I have a severe ice cream problem. It started when I was very young. And I went beyond the two scoops that I was allowed to when I would sneak into the kitchen in the afternoon and at night, and I would just eat ice cream. And I've had to come to grips with this. I've had to face reality. I've had to face reality and admit that when someone I'm around has started talking about ice cream, there are times in my life in which my mouth has started to water. And then I started thinking about how I can talk about this too and I can add to it. And then I started thinking about planning my day around when I could eat ice cream again. It was almost as if just by having those kind of conversations, I could taste it, you know? But as I've gotten older, I've developed a sensitivity to milk, which my wife thinks is hilarious because she just thinks I'm finally at a point in my life in which I'm willing to admit it. I'm not living in denial anymore. And on the other hand, as much ice cream as I love to eat, eating as much ice cream as I did, Gave me some health problems, sleeping problems, reflux problems, on and on. You see, in thinking about this idea, there are two One is, one image is this nice big bowl of Moose Tracks ice cream. Fudge strips, peanut butter, yes. And the other image is this, all of my health problems. And what am I going to do? Am I going to eat a bowl of ice cream three times a day, every day? What am I going to do? What will I do? Whichever image dominates my imagination, whichever image has a hold of my heart, that's what I'm going to do. That's what Paul's talking about here. Whichever image in our mind that dominates our minds and the spirit of our minds, what motivates us, what drives us, whatever dominates that part of our mind is what we will do. And as trivial as it may be to think about an ice cream analogy, just substitute if you don't like ice cream or if you need something else, I just use that because it's really a metaphor for all kinds of things. Winning, where winning just dominates everything about our lives, even to the point of giving us problems, whether it's responsibilities at home or us having a balanced, normal life, just substitute, if you don't like ice cream, substitute something else. Winning, money, power, influence, approval, always being right, whatever it is, just substitute that. Because there are always two images in our minds. And we will do whatever dominates our imagination. That's what Paul is saying. We will put off and we will put on based upon what is dominating the spirit of our minds. So, are we going to live our lives by what we think? 
or by what God says and what God thinks. And we need to be renewed by what God thinks of us. We need to have a fresh sense of what God thinks about us and who we are in Jesus all the time. Here's another analogy. Parenting. Now let me give my disclaimer on the front end because I talk about my family and nine times out of ten, everything is literally true. Well, this is not, okay? The example, the specific example I'm about to give you is not literally true in the Osborne house, okay? This is predominantly about me, okay? But this is another way I can try to explain this to you. Parenting. I was thinking back on parenting and the challenge of parenting. Thinking back on the challenges of birth. You know the pain that's involved with childbirth is also mixed with joy. There is fear in giving birth and fear in having children. You never know if the timing is gonna be exactly right and when the child is gonna actually come and there's, there's pressure all the time to have children from our families. There's pressure after we have children by our families. There are all kinds of challenges once our children are born, like the loss of sleep. There can be physical problems with our children, which there were. There are increased costs that you can't even imagine once you have children. It's harder to do what you want to do once you have children because you have to take care of them. People think about you differently once you have children. Oftentimes, people uh, say comments, where, uh, provide comments that, 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 that they mean really well, but they're just really rude. You ever had those comments? You know, like after your first child where you're absolutely drowning because you're not sleeping and you're struggling to figure out the rhythm of life, and people say, well, your child's so cute. Well, you just have one. Yeah, they mean well. The problem is you're drowning with one. You're not thinking about, should I have another one? Maybe you faced some of those comments. Maybe you've been guilty of saying those things before I have. We do all these things trying to live with our children and love them well. When our children get older, they get upset and they start to think for themselves. And then they want things like, Dad, I just want a TV in my room. Here's the fact, this is absolutely not a situation in our house right now, okay? Dad, I need a TV in my room. And part of you as a parent thinks like this, at least this one. Don't you understand? Like in talking to your children, this is what's going on in my head. Don't you understand? Without me, you will die. (laughs) You would have died hundreds of times by now. Don't you understand that? Like, things are great between us. Uh, Your mother and I brought you to life, and you want to be angry because you don't have a TV in your room? Have you forgotten the big picture? Like, without us, you're dead. You can't do anything. That's the way we act toward God. God has done everything for us. He's done everything. Read back through the first three chapters. If you can find one thing that God hasn't done for you in your walk with Jesus, please let me know what that is. He has done 
everything for us. All that we have comes from him. And yet so often we act like we need a color TV in our room. And you know what? God loves us. God loves us in spite of our selfishness. You see, here's the, here's the, here's the question again. What is the image? What has a hold of my heart? Myself and what I want? Or God and what he says about me in Jesus? Because if what God says is true about me in Christ, that gives me the power to put things off. And that gives me the power to put things on. I can't live my life just putting things off, and I can't live my life just putting things on. My mind needs to be continually renewed so that I want what God wants, and I want to put it on. And I want to get rid of the things that God doesn't want me to have in my life, and I have his power to do it. Do you see? This is how change happens. You have to have, we have to have all three of these And everything is driven by what Jesus has done for me and who he is for me. We have to have all three. And that's exactly how Paul finishes this chapter. Look at what he says in 25 through 32. He gives us examples of what this looks like in our lives very quickly. Verse 25, he talks about falsehood. We're going to call it lying, okay? Paul doesn't just say, hey, stop lying. Period. Let's go to the next thing. He doesn't say that, does he? Look at what he says. Put off falsehood or put off lying and put on truth. Why? Read the gospel in there. Because through Jesus, that wall of separation between you and other people that you want to speak uh, untruth toward and speak falsehood about, that wall is brought down by Jesus. And now you have to love your neighbor. Now you're connected to other people. You don't have to live your life just telling your truth. It's the truth of Jesus at work in you. So put off lying. Put on telling the truth because Jesus has connected you to other people. You have responsibility to your neighbor because Jesus loved you. Because he loved you, you can love others. And because he was truthful to you, you can be truthful to others. Look at verse 26 and 27 on anger. Does the Apostle Paul say, stop being angry? Boy, wouldn't that be nice if we could just do that in our lives, you know? You ever realize how how deep even some of that stuff is? You know, when you think all of life is just putting off things and then you get to the point where you think, well, what do I do? I don't have enough willpower to do that. Have you ever realized how angry you are and that you don't have enough power in your life just to stop being angry? Well, here's good news. Paul doesn't say, stop your anger. He says, stop being angry and sinning, meaning put on righteous anger. Don't be angry and sin. Don't sin by being angry. Be angry about the things that you're supposed to be angry about because Jesus has a hold of your life. Jesus has removed the power of Satan over you. Do you see how he connects it with Satan there? Does Satan would get a foothold? No, think about who you are in Jesus. Jesus has overcome the powers of darkness. Therefore, 
Stop being angry and sinning. Put on righteous anger because of what Jesus has done to the devil for you. Stealing, verse 28. Does he just say, stop stealing? Think about it. He's working us through all of these things. He says, let him who steals, steal no longer, right? But let him work hard with his hands that he might share with anyone who's in need. Do you see? He's working everything through Jesus. Yes, stop stealing. Yes, put on sharing and generosity. Why? Because you've learned that God has created you for good works in Jesus. He's given you skills and abilities to use them so that you don't have to steal from anybody. You can use what God has given you to earn, and then you can replace stealing with generosity. You can replace stealing with sharing. And finally, talking. He doesn't say, just stop talking altogether, but stop tearing down with words and put on words that edify, put on words that encourage, that build up, because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. The Holy Spirit is at work in you to give you a life, a life that parallels how God talks to you in Jesus, that he speaks to you words of life, that he builds you up. The last verses, 31, 32, is just Paul's way of saying, put off a life of death and put on the life of Christ. Put on the life of that would honor God because you're connected to the Lord Jesus. See, what Paul's getting at here is all those things that we want changed, all those things that we can help change, it's all because of Christ. And that we never encounter Christ and are left unchanged. We might be more confirmed in wanting our own way. We're going to be softened and we connect more of his life ours. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us with your word and remind us that you are changing us and that how we change is by putting off and putting on because the spirit of our minds is being renewed. You are acting on us. You are at work and we thank you. Lead us to repent and believe and follow. For your glory we pray. Amen.